Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Hauk, founder of the international online coaching business, Team Ange. I'm an expert in building muscle and losing fat, a natural figure and fitness pro athlete with the UFE, and a lover of everything personal development. I'm a mom, a businesswoman. Most days, I just feel like a hot mess trying to keep it all together. I spent the first two decades of my life overweight, tired, hating vegetables, and living off Pepsi. I got sick and tired of feeling tired every day and decided to transform my life. This fitness and nutrition podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering listeners on all things training, nutrition, and personal development. I'm on a mission to help you improve your body, achieve your goals, live a confident and fulfilled life stepping into your full potential. So let's help you transform physically and mentally to a person that's been hiding underneath all along. Let's do it. Hello, what's up guys? I'm so grateful that you decided to check out today's episode because I have something super special for all of you. I had the opportunity to chat with Ben Pakulski, IFBB pro, Pac-Man himself. He's a professional bodybuilder and a champion from Toronto. He's also a dad and an absolute master when it comes to building muscle. He's known by many as being the most successful bodybuilder that's come out of Canada. And he is truly one of my idols when it comes to the fitness industry. The principles that he teaches in all of his courses and in the content that he puts out has been the foundation for not only my own personal journey when it comes to muscle growth, but also what I teach to my clients. And in today's interview, we talk all about the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to training, thoughts on high carb versus high fat breakfasts, what Ben's thoughts are on mini cuts to help keep the body fat percentage down while trying to build some muscle, thoughts on cardio during a building phase, should men and women train differently, and so much more. So I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Let's get into it. Here's my conversation with the one, the only, Ben Popolsky. So we have the one and only Ben Pakulski in the house today. I am so, so honored to have you with us, Ben. I just have to let you know, you are one of my biggest inspirations when it comes to the fitness industry. So thank you for taking the time to come on and be part of the podcast. Thank you, Angela. That's very, very nice of you to say it. I'm very grateful. Thank you. All right, so let's get going here. We have some fantastic questions from our audience, and we'll just kick things off by telling everybody a little bit about who you are. I know you are also a Canadian like myself, I believe from Toronto originally. Yes, ma'am. Born and raised. All right, fantastic. And how'd you get going into all of this fitness stuff? Well, um, I think I had a lot of pain around the way my body looked when I was very young. And at 15 years old, I found the gym because I was um, a competitive athlete. I was a baseball player, hockey player, volleyball player, um, and realized that getting in the gym could make me stronger and faster. Uh, and then, you know, fortunately for me, I became addicted or maybe unfortunately, I guess, but depending on how you want to look at it, I became addicted and loved it and I responded relatively well. And I just, I loved it. And, you know, kind of from, I wouldn't say it was from day one, I wanted to be a bodybuilder, but relatively early into my life, I, I started kind of looking up at, to bodybuilders and going, well, that's pretty darn cool. And uh, that was, you know, ended up being my path for the next 20 years. And I know a lot about you, Ben, and you mentioned in a lot of the things that you speak about that you got to the top, but you found that it was a really lonely place. So can you tell me a little more about what that felt like when you were on the IFBB pro stage? 
Yeah, well, I think most importantly, the the lesson lies deeper in um, you know most humans um, have a an innate inbred desire to accumulate things. We want to accumulate money. We want to accumulate uh, houses and cars and, and material goods, or maybe we want to accumulate muscle. In my case. And we assume that's going to be the solution to all of our problems. We assume that, you know, I'm going to get to this one this one end destination, whether that be money or, or things or, in my case, as I say, muscle. And uh, when we get there, you know, our life's going to be fulfilled and we're going to feel amazing and we're going to have all this self-confidence. And then anyone who's ever accumulated anything in their life realizes that's not the case. No matter how much money you've you've accumulated, no matter how much uh, you know how great your physique ends up looking, it's never the end result you're after. My favorite saying is, you know, don't set the goal to become a millionaire for the money. Set the goal for the person that it makes of you to achieve it. And it's the same with muscle. So if anyone out there is desiring some end result of a physique. Uh, realized that, you know, I, I was literally, you know, the exact physique I wanted, um, you know, the exact place I wanted as one of the top Olympia competitors. And, uh, you know, getting there was, uh, unfortunately, I didn't realize at the time was the true, um, the true goal. It was the true benefits. You know, it was the all, all of the amazing accomplishments happened along the road that sometimes you forget to pay attention to. Because when you finally get to the stage, don't get me wrong, it's great. It's, it's a heck of an accomplishment. But the second you walk off that stage, um, you're still that same person that, that walked on. And you have to make something of yourself in the process. You have to look for the opportunities to progress as a person. You have to look for the obstacles that allow you to grow. And that's, I think, the biggest um, opportunity in bodybuilding in itself is, you know, seek the challenges, seek the obstacles, because those are going to make you better. Find the places where you want to cheat, find the places where you want to cut corners and go ahead first and, and take advantage of the opportunity. You know, every day I seek a struggle, every day I seek an obstacle, whether consciously or unconsciously, and knowing that it's my greatest opportunity to become the best version of myself. So, um, you know, I was 293 pounds at 4% body fat or something and, and getting ready for the, the um, you know, a couple of days out from the Mr. Olympia contest. And, uh, you know, I, I hated the way I looked, I hated the way I felt, I was unhappy. And uh, just, you know, is that the same for everybody? Maybe not, but at some at some level, it is, you know, maybe people aren't as self, self-aware as I was or as I am. Um, and it just was it required a big mental shift away from the desire to get somewhere rather than um, you know, the desire to enjoy every step of the way, you know, the, the climbing the proverbial mountain, right? So everyone wants to get to the top of a mountain to see this beautiful vista when they realize the actual greatest part is, is the part climbing the mountain because uh, you get to the top of the mountain and you, you're looking around and you realize you're standing there by yourself and it's a very lonely place because you've burned bridges and you've been so single-mindedly focused to get to the top of the mountain that you get up there and it's lonely. And, um, you know, coming back down is when now we're trying to re-establish re- and re-acknowledge all the, the incredible things and people that have happened along the way. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that next chapter look like for you then, Ben? So you left the bodybuilding space and you decided that you were going to decrease the muscle mass. So what's that, that most recent chapter brought to your life? I'll tell you what, I was doing a really good job losing muscle. And uh, until I had a Olympia, Mr. Olympia competitor, actually got two in here now, um, training for Olympia and I'm training them. So when I train with them, I end up having to, you know, train hard and lift heavy and end up eating a little bit more because trying to recover from these grueling workouts. So I've ended up putting on some muscle again, uh, unintentionally, but, uh, you know, I kind of like the fact that I can control it now. If I want to lose 30, 30 pounds of muscle, I can drop it. If I want to gain a little bit of muscle, I can, I can increase it. And, you know, it's just, uh, all within my control and I'm not so much attached to the outcome. I'm not so much attached to the end result. I'm just enjoying the process. And, you know, I love the idea of pushing myself every day as far as like transition away from, you know, the profession of bodybuilding. 
building. My profession now is leaning toward um, just helping people put together the pieces of the puzzle, you know. Uh, so many people are trying to solve the riddle of their body. So many people are trying to solve the riddle of their mind and um, the realization that you know and everybody listening probably gets but doesn't quite know how to put the pieces together is that those things have to be integrated. And you know, unless you believe in yourself, unless you change your uh, belief system, unless you change the words you use, you'll never achieve what you want, whether it be a physical or a financial goal or, you know, you are the – beliefs you have in your mind you, you know your internal world creates your external world and uh, learning how to shift someone's beliefs or shift someone's um, unconscious paradigms is so vital in achieving any aspect of success in your life that um, that's kind of where my life has shifted towards so I'm, I'm pretty great at the x's and o's of getting someone in shape right i really believe that you know after 20 years and thousands of clients have accumulated enough of a skill set and understanding on, on you know i can you know effectively change anyone's body and make it look kind of however they want uh, if they believe they can do it, right? If they, they change their belief in themselves and uh, without that, you can't be successful. So I've shifted a lot of my learning now to starting to understand how the brain works and how the nervous system works and uh, human psychology and human interaction and relationships and, you know, helping someone really optimize their life. Um, you know, optimizing their body is, is um, the easy part ultimately, but optimizing your mind is a whole different can of worms. Mm-hmm. Now, what would you say are the biggest mistakes that you see when it comes to mindset with the people that you work with? Well, I just interviewed for my podcast a gentleman who wrote a book called The Buddha's Brain. His name is Dr. Rick Hansen, and he has the best and most simple articulation of what needs of the belief system. And it's so many people are, in his exact words, are he, so many people are running away from sticks rather than chasing carrots. And so what that basically means is Many people are verbally and consciously running away from the things that they don't want rather than running toward the things they do want. So, you know, it's the articulation of I don't want to be fat anymore versus I want to be really fit or I don't want to be broke anymore versus I want to be rich. You know, and changing those simple articulations in your unconscious mind, you know, it obviously starts in your conscious mind and progresses its way down into your unconscious mind. But beginning to change that is step one, right? Beginning to change the words you use, um, your beliefs about yourself and who you are. And, you know, obviously the people you surround yourself with are going to massively influence your, your words and your beliefs and your thoughts and your standards and learning to shift all of those things uh, are absolutely essential in shifting anyone's life. And, you know, I really believe that anyone – Anyone can change their life, uh, but we get in our way, right? We're our own worst enemy. So uh, if people can start to have a support system, if people can have to, to have a process, um, it becomes so much more simple. And, you know, the idea of taking complete ownership and realizing you are 100% responsible for everything, you know, from the thing you're looking at in the mirror to the thing you're looking at in your bank account uh, to the relationships you have at home to your children, you're, you're 100% responsible for all of that. Um, and if you want to change it, you have to, one, believe you can change it, two, take ownership for it, and three, you know, execute a process. Mm, I love everything about what you just said there. And you brought up children, and that just leads me because I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and it's really interesting to me because so often when I chat with other moms or even just other people who have children, they often say that, the way that their child is behaving is is hard to deal with, right? And I think the interesting part that you're bringing up there, and this is also my perspective that I share, is that when I look at my son and I'm feeling as though what he is doing is something that's upsetting me, I think it's just a reminder of myself, right? Like he is being the lesson to let me know that like, 
he's learning from me in that way. Would you agree? Yep. In terms well, of your a children? thousand percent, you hit the nail on the head, right? Is is you know our t- our children are our greatest teachers because they're a mere reflection of ourselves. And if you see a limitation in your child, well, you should probably look at at yourself and realize that they're just modeling you. And one of my favorite quotes is. Your children will hear zero percent of what you say, but see one hundred percent of what you do, and uh, that isn't that the truth? You know, where um, I've got three kids, and I've got a five, a six, and an eleven-year-old, and you know, any limitation they have in their personality, I sit there and I, you know, I hit myself in the head and I'm just like, gosh, that that was me, and I see where that comes from, or maybe that's my wife, and um, you know, rather than say saying, hey, don't do this, you know, which is all of our always our natural reaction. Um, because people want, don't want to take ownership for the fact that, hey, I caused this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, we're always saying, don't do this stuff. You know, I, I try to be more cerebral about like, oh, I just need to do a better job leading and, and show them rather than tell them. And, you know, and it comes down to anything. And if you haven't read the books, any of your listeners or, or yourself, um, there's a book and, and the author's name is a little complicated. So excuse me if I butcher it. But the, the names of the books are The Awakened Family and The Conscious Parent. And the, and the author is Shefali Salbury. Um, she's amazing. Uh, her, the Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family are probably the two best books I've ever read when it comes to understanding that. And she's incredible um, with the, her ability to articulate it and really just give a really clear, concise lesson on how to start shifting your perspective on parenting. I'm definitely going to go check those out, Ben. Thank you for sharing that. Now let's shift into what a lot of our listeners are very interested in, and that is training and nutrition. So first off, what's the biggest or what are the biggest mistakes that you think people make when it comes to the way that they are training? (laughs) How much time you got? (laughs) Uh, Let's say um, top three. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, Honestly, I think it comes down to, to some very simple things. You know, depending what someone's goal is, right? If someone wants to put on muscle, it's a very different potential objective than if they just want to lose fat uh, with maybe a different uh, potential process. But um, either way, I think bo- both people need to be – both you know, uh, goals need to be starting with improving what you're doing in the gym. So most people go in the gym just to exercise and that's cool and, and – um, the biggest thing that we're doing is we're, we're wasting our time. We're wasting, we're being inefficient and we're going in there uh, mindlessly following what other people do. You know, I mean, people watch people on social media, people watch people on YouTube and they assume, hey, because that person look, does this and I want to look like them, I'm going to do that. And that's a terrible place to be. And, you know, they go in there and they go through the motions and they're very inefficient and they get frustrated. Maybe they get some results for a short period of time, uh, but they're very, very inefficient in their exercise. And they run into a plateau and then all of a sudden they go, oh, you know, I can't do it because I don't have the time or I don't have the genetics or I don't have the the knowledge. And and they pass all the ownership outside of themselves. And the reality is they just don't know what they're doing in the gym. And, you know, for the last 15 years, I've been teaching people how to exercise in the gym. And, you know, results are literally at your fingertips, right? You feel absolutely empowered when you learn how to do this stuff correctly. And it's as simple as realizing that your objective when you go in a gym is not to work hard. It's you know, working hard is obviously uh, a function in there somewhere, but your objective in the gym is to challenge muscles. Your objective in the gym is to work smart first, learn what works for your body. Um, learn that, um, whether I'm trying to burn calories or whether I'm trying to build muscle or whether I'm trying to burn fat muscle is the organ that's going to do it. And, uh, learning how to challenge muscles rather than move weight or rather than complete exercises. 
is a complete paradigm shift for people. And, you know, I, I always call it, you know, being muscle centric rather than movement centric, meaning I just want to be thinking about how much can I possibly challenge this muscle? My objective is not to complete this repetition. My objective during this repetition is going to be to how much can I make this muscle uh, fatigue? How hard can I make it for this particular muscle in this exercise? Now, and if you start to do that, your paradigm or exercise will change very quickly and your body will change very quickly because, you know, people, you know, mindlessly go in the gym and think their objective is I want to do three sets of 10 or three sets of 12. And that's what I need to do to build muscle. And that's just completely uh, missing the point. The objective is not to do three sets of 10 or three sets of 12. The objective, ultimately, if you, if you back it down to the root, is to challenge a muscle, right? I want to challenge this muscle and force it to adapt. And that requires much more, or, or it's, I guess much, it's actually much simpler than, you know, worrying about sets and reps and tempo and exercise and all these things. You know, the objective is just like, well, how do I make this muscle contract really hard? And then how do I add resistance to that? How do I make it harder? You know, that's, that's ultimately it. Um, learning how to first execute an exercise to challenge a muscle and then just manipulating time and load. And that's it. And, and people are just missing the first variable, right? They're always just like, I'm going to ma manipulate time, which is, you know, sets and reps, and then I'm going to manipulate load. Okay, those are great. But both of those are completely irrelevant until you learn how to challenge a muscle correctly first. So how do we challenge a muscle? Well, we need to make sure the muscle I'm working is actually doing the work when I'm exercising. You know, if I'm, if I'm lifting a weight, if I'm doing a bicep curl, is my bicep actually doing the work? If I'm doing a bench press, is my chest actually doing the work? Or am I just guessing? You know, just because you lay into a chest press doesn't mean you're actually using your chest. Just because you pick up a dumbbell to do a curl doesn't mean your bicep's doing work. You know, my objective needs to be, how do I get this muscle to do work 100% of the time? Otherwise, what the hell am I doing? I don't want other muscles to work. I want this muscle to work. You know, if I'm doing, trying to train my glutes, well, are my glutes actually contracting as hard as they possibly can 100% of the time? If not, you're wasting time. You're being inefficient. So learn how to challenge a muscle rather than moving a weight or completing an exercise you know completion is not your objective right completion should never be your objective that's a, that's a external focus we want to create an internal focus which means I'm, I'm internally focused on what my muscles are doing and that to me is the biggest mistake people make is they just you know everyone likes to hashtag you know kill it today everyone likes to work hard um, but working hard is absolutely futile until you work hard until you work smart first we're just wasting time and being inefficient right we don't read books to be able to brag about the fact that we read a book a week. We read a book to be able to get the knowledge and the information out of the book. You know, I don't want to work out just to work out and brag that I work out. I want to actually get results. So, you know, when I work out, I want maximum efficiency, just like when I read a book, I actually want to retain it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love so much of what you said there. And two of the other things that I've learned from you that I've been able to apply to my own training and that of my clients is really just the fundamental principle that take the muscle to the shortest position possible and then take it to the lengthened position and that's really the basis of it and so often people get so focused on doing it with a dumbbell or doing it with a cable machine or doing it with a barbell or, or they get so focused on the actual equipment when they're not actually like doing the movement pattern correctly and I right. commend you for the way that you both teach that and the impact that you've had on the industry in that department because I've learned quite a bit just from all the videos that you've put out and all of the education that um that you're sharing. So thank you. Thanks, Angela. I, I guess step one for people, you know, whether it's short and long, all this stuff is, is complicating, complicated for some people. I think step one is feel right. Like, 
95% of the time, my eyes are closed and I'm trying to feel what's happening inside my body. And rather than feeling the machine or feeling the dumbbell or feeling the bar or whatever it is, I want to feel the muscle. What am I training? Like, is it actually contracting? And, you know, the reality is when it's contracting, it's hard and it starts to feel uncomfortable. And people, people, you know, consciously and unconsciously try to get out of that, right? Your body has evolved for thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years for survival um so anytime something's uncomfortable your body goes oh i'm gonna get out of here as fast as possible as soon as something's challenging your body is literally it's evolved to get out of there so you have to be so conscious of making it challenging for yourself and when it is challenging not getting out of there Mm-hmm. staying there right staying there as long as you can and realizing that where this exercise is most challenging means it's my greatest opportunity you know, if I'm do, if I'm at the bottom of a squat, what does everybody do at the bottom of a squat? They get out of there as fast as they can. They bounce, they squirm, they, they whatever they can do to get out of there. Well, that's your greatest opportunity in that exercise. Stay there, become stable there, become strong there, become confident and comfortable there. And guess what? All of a sudden, gee, next week I'm doing more. Next week I'm I'm, I'm responding. Next week I'm getting better results. So the reality is, like, this stuff's not complicated. You just have to think and then feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what about the biggest mistakes when it comes to nutrition? What do you often see in that department? Well, I talk about this a lot um, in my gym and in my coaching and my seminars. Um, you know, most people go into, you know, a fat loss program or a transformation program and their first, uh, you know, lever that they pull is they drop their calories down really low and they start doing cardio. And, you know, ask everybody if you want to start a fat loss program, what do you do? Well, you drop your calories and you start doing cardio. I think that's just the stupidest thing you can do, right? Because as soon as you drop calories, your energy goes down, your ability to work out goes down, you're tired, your motivation is decreased. And all of a sudden, ah, you know, I don't really want to go to the gym today. I don't really feel so good. I'm not, I'm not able to burn as many calories in the gym, not able to burn as much muscle. It's the worst thing you can do. So, um, First thing people should be doing when addressing nutrition for fat loss or for transforming their body is um, optimizing nutrition, meaning supporting my ability to work hard, supporting my ability to perform, um, and you know, obviously subjectively assessing that every day. Like, am I actually working hard today? Do I feel great or do I feel like crap? And if you feel like crap, one, don't go, or two, manipulate your training. Um, you know, you shouldn't ever feel like crap. You know, if you, if you feel like crap, something is broken. Something's not working well. You know, what it is, who knows? It could be any number of things. But uh, that's the biggest mistake people are making is assuming that to lose fat, they need to decrease calories. And at some level, you do, but not first, right? At first, you want to support the increase in output. So to lose body fat, um, you have two options, right? You, you can either de- in, uh, you can increase your output. Or you can decrease your input, meaning so increasing your output means burn more calories, you know, work harder than gym, build some muscle, or I can decrease my input, which is decreasing my calories. And I think everyone should wait on decreasing their input or at least modulate it and regulate it and not bring that down to a point where you're below your daily intake or daily requirements. Because as soon as you do that, like I said, you're going to back yourself into a corner. So, yeah, that's step one for nutrition. The other the other problem with nutrition is everybody likes to jump on a bandwagon of saying, oh, I'm doing keto or I'm doing vegan or I'm doing you know, whatever. Uh, you know, you name your fad. And the reality is people need to learn what works for them. And I think the first step that everyone should be taking is getting their body adapted to burning fat for fuel at some level. And that doesn't necessarily mean doing a ketogenic diet. That means shifting the majority of your calories away from carbohydrate and using a substantially more amount of fat so that when you stop eating, you know, whether you're sleeping or you decide to do a little bit of time-restricted eating, uh, then your body can actually use the fat that you store as fuel rather than just burning in glycogen. So, you know, everyone has the ability to burn both fat and glycogen. And, you know, you look at it like a, like a continuum, right? So most people are shifted way over to the carbohydrate burning aspect of the continuum. When in reality, 
we want to be have have a tremendous ability to burn both. And the reason people are um, so shifted toward the the carbohydrate burning side is because we're constantly consuming carbohydrates. Your body doesn't see a need to learn how to burn fat. It doesn't. So even when you stop eating, your body just keeps looking for glycogen. These are people who get hangry when they don't eat, right? You, you don't eat, you get really hungry, you know, you don't want to talk, you get very upset, you get you know, emotional, you get angry, whatever it is. Well, that's because your body hasn't tapped into fat stores because your body gets so much abundance of stored energy, it just doesn't know how to use it. So learning to shift your calories toward having slightly higher fat intake and slightly lower carbohydrate intake or at least less frequent dosing of carbohydrate intake will allow your body to start being much more efficient and effective at burning fat at rest. That's step one, because then when I go into a caloric deficit, then I know my body can actually use the fat I have in my body as fuel, thereby I'm gonna burn fat, thereby I'm not gonna feel like crap if I go six hours without eating. Like it's not normal, people, for you to go four hours and feel like, oh my goodness, I have to eat. No, you're human, not evolved to do that. Your body has evolved, you should be able to go days without eating and not feel at all interrupted. I mean, you may feel slightly less energy, but depending on how much body fat you have stored, I mean, if you're anything over 12% body fat, you have days and days and days of stored energy. Your body should be able to tap into that with relative ease. So um, constantly subjecting your body to carbohydrate intake is preventing you from doing that. So what kind of distribution are we talking about then, Ben, in terms of carbs versus fat in your diet? I don't think there's an answer to that. I think it depends where you are and what your your calorie or your um, activity level is, right? So if you're if you're currently at 70% carbohydrate, well, let's try 50, and then let's try 30, and then let's try 10. You know, and then let's say, oh, geez, my body's really good at burning fat now. It's a progression. Uh, and if my activity level is very high, well, I don't want to go zero carbohydrates because I'm going to tap into again decreasing my ability to perform. So if I am, am burning a ton of calories a day, I'm very active, I'm training a couple of times, I'm very athletic, well, maybe I go, you know, a gram per pound of carbohydrate. Maybe it's a little more than that. Um, but it doesn't have to be massively restricted. It just has to be measured and progressed in one direction or the other, right? The, the best nutrition program is not the first one that you get from your coach. The best nutrition program is the change you make every week in response to how your body is responding. So anyone who goes out and buys a one-off nutrition program is wasting their time and money. Uh, you should always engage somebody, whether it be for accountability or for um, you know built-in progress of coaching, to uh, make at least weekly or biweekly changes, so that you know, hey, like everything I'm doing is is uh, responsive to what my body is doing. And if I'm gaining fat, well, I'm eating too much. If I'm not losing, if I'm losing fat, great, like keep it going. You know, no need to make changes if it's working. But if it stops working, that should be a pretty good indication how to change. So the way I set up a diet for for almost everybody as a baseline is uh, I'll start off with one, you know, assuming somebody's weight training, um, they're relatively active. Most of my clients are, are weight training at least you know four days a week. I'll set up with at least one gram per pound body weight of protein. Uh, and then depending on their, their activity level, uh, usually I start around one gram of carbohydrate per pound body weight. And then I fill in the rest of the calories with fats. And you know, obviously very particular fats. It's not just you know eat whatever you want. It's very particular sources. I'm all about quality of food rather than quantity of food, because it's an important realization to make that what goes in my body becomes my cells. So if I put crap in, I'm going to have a crappy body, and I need to be very attentive and aware of the quality of my food. Um, and that's so, so, so important, especially when it comes to fats and proteins, right? Like, you know, the source of protein, particularly fats more than anything, I would say, is so vital to pay attention to the uh, composition of your fat intake. But that's basically how I set it up is, is relatively simple. And then the manipulations I make, well, if you're still sore, well, maybe we need a little more protein or carbohydrate. 
if you're if you're not having enough energy in your workouts, okay, let's put the carbohydrates up a little bit. If I'm if I'm not getting great workouts or if I'm not building enough muscle, let's put the carbs and protein up a little bit. Or conversely, hey, if I'm losing or if I'm not losing enough fat, let's bring the carbs down a little bit. Let's see what happens. You know, if someone's feeling lethargic all the time or they're they're um, not able to get focused in their workouts, we'll bring the carbohydrates down a little bit because often carbohydrates will increase serotonin and um, you know be calming to you and take away your neural drive, take away your focus. So sometimes I'll restrict carbohydrates for that reason. But again, it depends where somebody is. If somebody's coming in that's very insulin resistant, I'll probably put them on a relatively carbohydrate restricted diet. That doesn't necessarily mean zero, but that means restriction. Mm, and that leads in so beautifully into the next question from the audience. And that is, what are your thoughts on a high carb versus a high fat breakfast? I can almost never see a necessity for a high carbohydrate breakfast uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, most 95 to 98% of clients are going to get a high uh, protein and a moderate fat breakfast. Um, unless someone is really, really ectomorphic, I will, and even then I probably wouldn't put them on necessarily a high carbohydrate diet, but that would be the only instance that I would see a necessity. Like the, the fitness industry is typically doing the egg white and oatmeal thing, which I think both of those are absolutely terrible sources of food that I don't recommend to anybody. Um, oatmeal is obviously not a terrible choice, but um, you know, it's certainly not the first, uh, first one on my list by any stretch. Um, so typically breakfast is going to be, like I said, uh, high to moderate protein and then moderate fat. Um, probably no carbohydrate. As, as, as close to zero insulin response as we can, um, you're typically trying to keep my glucose levels as stable as possible. And I think that's beneficial for both longevity and for body composition because as soon as my glucose, my blood glucose goes up, I know my body's going to stop burning fat. So I want to try to keep the, um, the body burning fat for as long as I possibly can. So in most instances, the only time I advocate, um, or at least the time I advocate consuming most of your carbohydrates is either intra-workout, post-workout, or later on in the day. Uh, and then knowing that when I go to sleep, my body's going to be re-sensitizing um, to insulin. Hmm. Very interesting. And what would you say would be a good breakfast then built around the things that you just said, Ben? Sure. I mean, honestly, anything. So I usually advocate some type of wild meat. And I mean, for some people, that's, you know, a hard thing to believe or a hard thing to get their head around. But, you know, any t especially for yourself being in Canada, wild meat is extremely easily accessed. A small amount of wild meat and maybe it's some great fats. Maybe it's an avocado. Maybe it's olive oil. Maybe it's even some bacon. I'm not against saturated fat as long as it's not combined with sugars. Um, there's a lot of data that says saturated fat is actually completely inert in your body unless it's um, combined with any type of sugars, um, even for cholesterol, you know, I've done a lot of research into cholesterol and I think people's, um, understanding of cholesterol is, is a little bit confused. Cholesterol is a fat transporter. It's also very necessary for, um, hormone production. So things like that. So I, I would probably go with a, you know, not necessarily a lean source of, of, of um, fatty meat, not necessarily a fatty source, but uh, maybe somewhere in the middle and then adding some avocado, adding some olive oil, uh, and then a good serving of vegetables. And, um, you know, if you wanted to do some nuts, that could be a good source. Maybe some eggs could be a good source, whole eggs, not whites. Um, allow your body to um, get accustomed to burning fat for fuel, to using fat for fuel. And the only way you can do that is by minimizing insulin levels and, and supporting your body's energy with fat. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some people listening that are going to be like, holy smokes, Ben just said oatmeal and egg whites. I can't do them. So what are some of the foods over and above the things that you just mentioned that you would say would be good foods for them to choose? 
So someone who's right now sitting and eating oatmeal and egg whites. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, um, uh, yeah, they're a little shocked. Like, I know I listened to your episode, your intro to nutri- nutrition, because I know you're going into nutrition week for your pers- for your podcast. And yep. so I know you started going through six of the uh, foods that you typically sure. suggest. So let's run yeah. through some of those for the audience. Sure. Yeah, I mean, those are kind of the, the greatest bang for your buck foods that I've come across. And like I said, it's it's typically red meat or wild meat and grass fed is very important. Um, you know, the highest quality food I can find. I literally import my food, uh, particularly my meat from, you know, the best places I can find in the country. And, and I assess that, you know, subjectively based on, um, you know, are they uh, outside eating grass exclusively and how are they being slaughtered? And uh, those things are important. I think, you know, the mindset of, you know, the animal is, is a relevant thing. As much as that sounds woo-woo, I think, you know, you don't want to stress that animal. Like, just like you wouldn't want to stress that person, like their body's going to be messed up internally. The animal's going to be the same way. So animal welfare is an important thing. Um, so, you know, the eats the meats I'm eating are, you know, I eat a lot of elk. I eat a lot of venison. I eat a lot of yak. I eat a lot of bison, uh, grass-fed beef, um, some wild fish, you know, sardines, um, salmon, um, cod, all these things are, you know, very, very good sources of protein. And I don't think you need as many different options as, as you think. I think I just named off eight. I think that's plenty. I mean, and that doesn't even include chicken and, and turkey, right? Um, and I just really believe that chicken and turkey are, you know, poor sources of fat. So obviously protein-wise, they're equivalent or relatively equivalent to the other wild meats, but their their fat profiles are going to be poor because turkey and chicken in North America are fed really poor diets. They're supposed to live on you know, effectively bugs, which would give them high uh, omega-3 content, but none of them eat bugs. They all eat chicken and or they eat corn and soy and um, you know, things that, you know, that's going to go into their system and it's going to go into our system. So I'm trying to minimize those things. Um, so all of the food I eat is organic and, and uh, you know, the highest quality I can find. And so if someone looking to replace that, um, the other foods I recommend, as I said, I go with uh, wild meat, I go with avocados, olive oil, blueberries, cacao, or, or uh, you know, raw chocolate, um, and coconut. And that's kind of my, those are the staples, um, coconut or MCT oil. Those are like the staples and I build everything around that. So, you know, I, I'm definitely not against any type of squash and sweet potatoes. I eat lots of those. I think they're fantastic. Obviously every type of vegetable can be useful. Um, the only consideration there is you know, we've been sold on this idea that vegetables are healthy for us. And, you know, they are no question. There's many benefits, but I also think that this broad stroke statement that one food group is everything is good for you, maybe a little overgeneralized. Um, Especially because, you know, most people who attach to one thing just go, oh, I'm just going to eat everything. And I'm not, I'm not against it. I eat a ton of vegetables. But um, I think, you know, eating a lot of vegetables is important. But just maybe being aware of the lectin content in the vegetables. Um, you know, don't overconsume certain ones that are high in oxalic acid like raw spinach and raw kale uh, tend to be high in oxalates. Um, which can lead to kidney stones um, and lectins or can lead to, to leaky gut and inflammatory issues in the, in the body. And, and really the, the primary guiding factor I use, Angela, is, is inflammation. So uh, everything we eat is um, at some degree inflammatory, right? As soon as we eat, that's the kind of a reaction that, has in our bo- that our body has when we consume anything. Um, but we're just trying to find the foods that are least inflammatory and uh, you know, the, body, the, the foods that my body uses really, really well. If I feel really good with the food, Awesome. If I get a little bit of brain fog, if I little bit get a little bit of indigestion, even gas, all those should be an immediate indication that don't eat those things. <laughs> like it's not rocket science, right? Just don't eat those things. And, you know, the things I stay away from are grains, uh, most grains. I eat some rice, white rice occasionally if I'm, if I'm having a hard training day. Uh, but all other grains I think are, at least for me, unnecessary. I don't think any human should eat gluten. 
Uh, I don't eat any dairy. Uh, that's just personal preference. Some people can obviously use dairy. I think butter is a great thing for a lot of people, uh, or at least a useful tool for a lot of people. Um, yeah, I guess that, that covers a lot of things. I mean, fruit is great. I eat tons of berries. You know, I, my kids live on berries and, you know, bananas are okay. Um, you know, fruit's awesome, but just, I just try to frame my diet around those six foods that I mentioned to begin with. Do you ever struggle then when you go out to eat, Ben? Yes and no. I mean, I, I think most places you can go. My, again, my first thing is I'll try to pick a restaurant. Uh, you know, I'll try to think ahead and try to pick a restaurant that has high quality food. And I'm not neurotic about it, right? Like, I, I'm not a zealot around like, oh, I can't, I can't eat this or uh, everything has to be 100% organic. Like, I realize for me, it's about it's about toxic burden. So if I'm constantly eating shitty quality food, I know that the toxic burden on my body is high. Uh, if I'm always eating really well, like always eating at home and, and I know the amount of toxins going into my body is relatively low, my liver doesn't have a, a huge amount of burden to process, well, I, I can get away with having you know, a, a you know, crappier meal from time to time or a non-organic meal from time to time or you know, a glass of wine from time to time. Like I'm totally cool with all that stuff. I try not to be neurotic about it, but ultimately if you have a choice and you're at your house and you can afford it, um, then it just makes sense to me that like, hey, be conscious of all these things. So that's kind of how I frame my nutrition guidelines is like, here's the best case scenario. If you want to do that, go there. And if you, if you don't, then just do your best to make smart choices all the time, right? Like, I mean, I can go out and get salads. I can go out and get meat. I can go out and get uh, – the typical thing you can't get when you're out is a good source of carbohydrate, right? So you can get that, – that's when this ketogenic approach seems to make a lot of sense or even a carnivore approach when you're out makes a lot of sense. I just eat a little bit more meat, uh, have a little more fat, and I just avoid any of the crappy processed uh, carbohydrates and uh, the overcooked fats. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think to um, – just to kind of build on that is that I think – what I'm hearing from you, Ben, is that you've really simplified your nutrition versus trying to make it incredibly complex. And I think that that's mm -hmm. really probably the, the tool that's led to so much consistency with the way that you eat. Yeah, I mean, make it simple, right? It doesn't need to be complicated. And that's that's the, the unfortunate reality in the fitness industry is we're all just thinking about, you know, different ways to make it harder. Like, gosh, try to simplify. It. And that's what you notice in training as well. You know, the people who actually understand it narrow things down to a very small number of variables that that make a big difference and the same in nutrition like hey let's simplify this how, how easy can i make this because ultimately the the best diet in the world is the one you're going to follow so if you start complicating things and oh, i need to eat more of this and less of that like and just eat great food eat the highest quality food and chances are you're probably going to be in pretty great shape and feel pretty great Mm -hmm. Absolutely. that's what it all comes down to for me right is i want to feel awesome i want to perform really well i want to have tons of energy and vigor for my life and, and live a long time and that's the biggest uh guiding factor for me yeah absolutely absolutely now what are your thoughts on the ways in which men and women train do you think that men and women should train the same or do you think that there's something that they should consider when they're doing their training that should be different uh, interesting question. I, I think obviously there's many differences. Um, goals being one. I mean, most women don't want to be huge and jacked and ripped. Um, but ultimately, it, it's it's so uh, variable according to a person's goal. But it all needs to start with the basics, as I talk about. Like everyone needs to be training um, intentionally with their muscle and with an internal focus. That's, that has to be, I think, whether or not your goal is exclusively fat loss. And most women say, I don't want to put on any muscle. That's fine. Don't put on any muscle. But you still have to realize that your ability, your contracting muscle is still your greatest ability to burn calories, right, to burn fat. So you still want to do that. Um, I think the biggest thing maybe – Interesting. Maybe body part focus, like, um, you know, women may want to have a, a slightly higher frequency in their training. 
meaning lower body can be trained a little more often. So typical female training for me, if I have clients, I'm going to have them doing lower body probably every three to four days, uh, whereas men may have more of a split approach. And I think that that actually is another paradigm shift in the, in the fitness industry is this idea of like training one body part once a week. Um, I think that is very useful for the highest level bodybuilders in the world or who are producing a ton of muscular damage every time they train. But for most people, they can probably get away training each body part two to three times a week and still get tremendous results and, and not, quote unquote, be overtrained like this term that everyone throws around. So that would be a probably the biggest difference I would suggest is um, increase, increasing frequency a little bit and, uh, you know, train maybe it's alternating between upper body and lower body and not not even considering body part splits. So realizing that. You know, when a high-level athlete contracts muscle or when trains a body part, they're creating a tremendous amount of muscle damage and a tremendous amount of intramuscular uh, oxidative stress. That takes days to recover from. It takes the nervous system a long time to recover from that. When the average person contracts muscle, they're, they're creating a little bit of intramuscular uh, stress, a little bit of muscular damage. They could probably train it again in 48 to 72 hours, you know, for sure. So um, increased frequency is – uh, definitely a missed opportunity that people are missing out on, and something would certainly improve body composition and improve muscularity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I agree one hundred percent. Now, what are your thoughts on cardio in a building phase? Do you think it's totally useless, or do you think it can be useful? I think the aerobic properties of exercise are very, very important. I think everyone should be aerobically conditioned to a high degree, but I also think if, when you learn how to train correctly, you can actually train the aerobic system very, very efficiently and effectively with weight training. So um, I don't think everyone needs to do cardio as often as they think because in most people it's actually going to be doing more of a muscle wasting thing. But I think it has a place. Uh, you know, I would recommend most people doing it at least twice a week. But the reality is like it doesn't have to be, hey, I'm on a treadmill for an hour. Hey, I'm on a stepper. Like go outside, go for a walk. You know, go outside and go for a walk for an hour. I think that's probably enough. As long as you're walking with intent and you're walking with like, you know, I would say walk like somebody's chasing you, um, like walk with a purpose. And then all of a sudden, hey, I actually had a pretty good cardio workout there, right? And, and it's just getting blood to your brain, uh, improving the elasticity of your blood vessels. All these things are just going to contribute to improve recovery, improve uh, nutrient delivery to the muscles. And what about high intensity training then? Cardio? Yeah, high intensity cardio during your build. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So many benefits um, as far as new vascular um, growth, as far as recovery, as far as increased fat oxidation. The only catch would be for most people is like, hey, we know that this is depleting glycogen. So I wouldn't want to do like a high intensity hit workout the day before I train my legs because chances are my legs may not be repleted. But, I, I you know, no problem doing it before an upper body thing. Um, and just paying attention to the fact that, hey, if I'm doing a ton of hit, well, those muscles are going to be depleted. So make sure I'm getting enough food, almost like treating it like a post-workout thing where, you know, I just had a hard workout. I'm going to have a post-workout shake. Hey, I just did a hard hit. I'm probably going to have a post-workout shake, obviously dependent on dose and, and effort. Um, but I think those would be um, definite additions to most people's cardio programs. So here's the way I – here's why. When you're training in the gym, let's say you want to do legs, you're doing squats or something like that. Um, if I'm doing a squat and I put a bar on my back, I want my quads to be the thing that fatigue first. So 
most people when they train their legs are huffing and puffing to the extent that they can't actually create enough stimulus in their muscles. And they go, hey, why am I not building this body part? And you watch them train, you go, well, it's because your aerobic system is being challenged before your muscular system or because your core is giving out before your, your legs are. And you always have to look at it from like his bottleneck perspective. So if I'm squatting and, and something is fatiguing more uh, before my quads, well, I'm not working my quads. My quads didn't actually reach their momentary fatigue. So... Uh, I need to pay attention. Like, is my lower back hurting? Am I breathing heavy? Am I getting Am I getting dizzy? Am I getting unbalanced? Am I, what, what's the What's the thing breaking first? And then address that. And for most people, you know, a large percentage of people, when they're actually training their muscular system, when they're training their legs, um, their their aerobic system fatigues first. So doing a little bit of hit has so many benefits that I think everyone should include at least once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now. The next question here from our audience is, what are your thoughts on doing mini cuts to help manage your body fat percentage when you're building muscle? 1,000%. I think it's brilliant. And uh, that's the way I advocate it for everybody. Is So I just call it cyclical nutrition. Uh, I created a program called the Incredible Bulk, which is probably an incorrectly named, but that was the idea. It's just cyclical nutrition, whether you're trying to build muscle or lose fat. Um, you know, going for a few days uh, in a low calorie state can reset insulin sensitivity, uh, can can give your body a bit of a break digestion wise and uh, optimize the way your body's using nutrients. So I think there's a lot of benefits to cycling nutrition. If you look at you know how we've evolved, um, we probably didn't eat the linear nutrition calendar like we do now, right? Typically, we've probably ate maybe a little more fruits and vegetables in the summertime, maybe a little less in the wintertime, and maybe a lot more meat and fats in the wintertime because we just didn't have access. So uh, I think having a cyclical approach to nutrition is absolutely essential. Um, and some people even get into talking about doing it on a weekly basis or even a monthly basis where, you know, three weeks of the month you're doing a, a calorie excess and, you know, one week of the month you're doing a calorie deficit. And that's about how I'd frame it, um, you know, but I'd also make your training match that, right? So if I'm, if I'm no, and, and realizing that muscle growth can't be linear, so I, I don't want to expect it to be linear. I want to make it, I want to make sure that it's uh, intelligently and uh, intentionally uh, fluctuated. So I intentionally try to build in three weeks of aggressive pushing on my work and, and really, really push my volume up and push my intensity up. And then I intentionally build in a deload week, which then, you know, instinctively requires substantially less calories and I, you know, I deload, deload my training and I switch over to a strength-based stimulus. I'm not creating as much muscle damage, um, decrease my, my carbohydrate intake, you know, decrease my inflammation in my body, bring all those things back down. And then I go back down, I hit it again. One of the biggest mistakes people make is just constantly trying to train, you know, every day, five days a week. And they end up training at like, you know, 60 or 70% of their ability, their momentary ability. Um, often, you know, I think that's a terrible mistake. What you want to be doing is training closer to 90 or hundred percent of your momentary ability way less often. And then you just train your brain and your nervous system, how to work hard. And that's so much more of an opportunity than training often. And that's a huge issue that people run into, right? Is everyone thinks they have to train every day. You train every day and you end up just going through the motions sometimes and you're building bad habits, you know, both psychologically and physically. So I want people to be in there. When they're in there, they're working as hard as they can. And if you don't feel like you're ready to go 100% today, do something different. Go in and do, do steady state. Go in and do hit. Uh, go in and do something different. But save that uh, workout for the day when you're ready to go in there and crush it and, and create really good habits and only train – um, hard. And what would you say training hard looks like then, Ben? <laughs> 
Um, well, like I said, the hardest way to train is the one that requires you to actually pay attention. So the worst thing you can do, you know, when people, you know, hashtag crushed it today, they're going in there and they're slinging weights around, they're, they're breaking a big sweat and they're using their whole body to move heavy weights. And really they're getting absolutely no muscular benefit. They're just creating a bunch of internal systemic stress and, and inflammation. Uh, so training hard means, um, isolating muscles and aggressively contract them, making sure the muscle is working 100% of the time. There's no such thing as momentum. There's no such thing as swinging. The only muscle that's working when I'm training is the muscle I'm trying to train. And the, all the other muscles are 100% contracted, but in a rigid, immobile state, stabilizing my body like I'm in a cast and eliminating any chance of them assisting in the exercise. That is hard. You know, I teach that stuff at my camps once a month here in, in Florida. I do camps all over the world. Um, and that, that's the hardest thing you can teach someone. And when they get it, their body just responds uh, incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned something about this hulking program that you have, and I know that you have other training programs that you offer. So what would you say makes your training programs different from other ones that are on the internet? Well, like I said, that one step, you know, everyone can write, you know, everyone always goes, Ben, what's the best, what's the best program? What's the best, how many sets and reps do I need? Um, how often should I train a body part? How many exercises should I do? And all of those are effectively useless questions until I know that someone has been able to standardize their execution. They've been able to standardize their stimulus. And all that looks like is I need every rep and every set to look absolutely identical. And then and only then can I start to quantify the amount of work you're doing. So the first thing we do is we, we put in the most important step of all is and we put in exercise mastery, right? We want you to become a master of your body, realizing, Angela, that your body's built very differently than mine. And you shouldn't be doing exercises the same way I do. You shouldn't even be doing the same exercises. So we put together a program called Hypertrophy Mastery um, that is basically like teaching you the blueprint for your body. Like here's these exercises and here's how to learn how to set up for your body. Because unless you set up correctly, everything you do after that is, is futile. So that's the missing step, the missing link. You know, working hard is awesome. It's very, very important. But it's not even – shouldn't even be on your radar yet. Most people can make so much progress never even working hard just by learning how to work smart first, learning how to train for their body. Everyone experiences soreness and injuries and pain. It's not because that's just par for the course. It's because you're doing things wrong. And when you start to realize that, like, oh, I can fix this. Like, it's not just bad genetics or it's not just like, you know, just the way the, the, way the cookie crumbles, or the way the cards fall. No, it's just you don't know how to do it. And when people take ownership for their life and realize, like, oh, I can actually change this. Oh, there's actually someone out there who can teach me how to do this for my body. And the unfortunate reality is 99% of trainers don't know what they're doing either. So uh, it's unfortunate, but it's just the reality in part for the course. So we're, we're trying to teach as many, um, you know, inspired fitness professionals as possible this modality and this training uh, thought process and approach. And it's not, and it's not our approach, right? It's just, this is just biomechanics. <laughs> this okay. is the way the body works. This is physics, you know? How did you see the gap in the industry when you were younger and kind of make your way into seeing that this was a problem and seeing that a lot of the trainers around you weren't executing things in the way that you kind of were understanding or envisioning them, Ben? Well, I was 18 years old and I was looking for, I, was, I wanted to begin to bodybuilding. I was looking for the one person who could teach me everything I want to know about bodybuilding, about training, about nutrition, about supplementation. And I couldn't find him. And the closest thing I found was Charles Poliquin. And Charles is not even in the bodybuilding world. And Charles introduced me to a lot of sports uh, trainers, a lot of coaches. And he was always referencing the Romanians and the Russians and all these people outside of our country. And I was like, oh, I want to look at these people. And, and you start to realize that within the fitness industry, is oftentimes there's just not a lot of good coaches because you know people in the fitness industry are just people who are fit 
you know, they look good, which is often a genetic component. Um, but the best coaches in the world are usually Olympic trainers or they're, you know, pro athlete trainers or, you know, training these people outside of our sports. So I started to look for them for guidance and advice and starting to realize that nobody in fitness and bodybuilding is paying anywhere near as close attention to the details and the minutiae those those guys are. Like those guys are looking at movement patterns and recovery modalities and, you know, specific nutrition and optimizing inflammation. And that's where my, my paradigm really came from is looking at, you know, I've got I've been very blessed to surround myself with a lot of people who are professional coaches, uh, whether it be in, you know, professional sports like hockey and baseball and football or Olympic coaches. And that's where my paradigm comes from is they're always, you know, they're always on their toes and have to be the best in the world because they're trying to win right now. You know, they're trying to win the Olympic gold medal or they're trying to win the Stanley Cup or the World Series or whatever it is. So they got to be on their toes. Uh, in the fitness industry, I just find that everybody kind of follows the guy who's the biggest, you know, like, oh, he's, this guy's training this way, should, I should do that. And there's no thoughtful approach. So uh, I was just very blessed to surround myself with great people and realize that um, there's so much more that could go into this stuff to making it so much better uh, than we're taking into account right now. That's fantastic. Now, if somebody's looking for a coach, then what would you say are the qualities that they should be looking for? That's a good question. Uh, one I haven't thought about a lot. Um, I think someone who cares is step one, right? And, and a lot of people get into coaching because, one, they've competed once in their life and that makes them an authority all of a sudden. Uh, but, two, they just want to make money. And they're like, oh, I don't have to – I can work from home. I can, someone can pay me every month and I'm making a good income. And it becomes a it becomes a chore. And I think caring about your clients is very important. So, um, you know, paying attention to are they actually attentive? Do they actually care? Are they responsive? Um, those things are all important. It's, it's a tough thing, right? Like most people like to base their coaching decisions on results, and that's obviously important. Um, you know, it's a huge piece. But um, and the unfortunate reality is most people can get results for anybody just putting somebody on, you know, a massively calorically restricted diet and having them work harder because the coach doesn't care what happens to you after the contest. I mean, at the end of the day, as long as you win the contest, they don't care if you go to the hospital or if you die or if you screw up your metabolism or if you have massive issues psychologically with food. Nobody cares. They don't care. But you should care and you should realize like, hey, what is what I'm doing sustainable? That should, that should be the question. Could I sustain this or at least be very close to sustaining this 365 days a year? And if you can't, it's a big issue. You know, it's a, I don't I don't disagree that, you know, if you're getting ready for a contest or something, there needs to be three to four weeks of or maybe even maximum six weeks of depletion and depletive uh, lifestyle and, you know, and decreased calories, and increased uh, output. But it's not three months. It's not four months. It's not, you know, 300 days a year. It's this very acute phase where we're just increasing your output a little bit, decreasing your input, and your body's changing. So, um, you know, always asking questions, always always asking why, and uh, why is it this way, not that way, and you know, just educating yourself and be able to eventually make your own decisions. And that's the framing of my podcast is like, I just want to provide people with answers, or not even answers, sorry, but, but perspectives so they can make their own answers. Um, you know, I don't ever think that I know everything, but certainly people out there at some level, if we put all these heads together, we can put together a pretty good thought process. And that's the amazing opportunity of, of having a podcast, as you know, is you get to interview these world experts and just start to shape your opinion a little bit and start to shape your thought process a little bit. It makes you so much better at being able to articulate it to other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Ben. Now, what would you say is lighting you up the most these days? The brain. The brain, the brain. <laughs> uh, I'm, infa I'm infatuated and fascinated with how this thing works and how we store information and how it's all uh, evolved to become this way and all the things we're 
program to do and then how to tap into programming it to change and uh, man it's it's such a fascinating thing that I'm probably going to be diving into for the next 20 years uh, especially now that I've got kids watching their little brains develop and, and watching them pattern themselves after me and after people around them and just looking realizing that a lot of these things are evolutionary like inbred uh, traits uh, such an interesting thing if you're interested in this stuff you know Buddha's brain is a great place to start I told you about that Rick Hansen's book um, super, super uh, informative book on understanding how the brain works. Mm, I love it. And have you come across anything that you found particularly surprising or fascinating? Everything. I, f- I feel like a little kid. I feel like a, this this amazing constant state of wonderment that I live in. Like everything I, I read is uh, just, I mean, so incredible to know that, um, you know, just, I mean, I'm fascinated with a lot of things. I guess I have a naturally uh, curious personality, but just like how we got here and why we're here and, and where we're going and all that stuff is just incredible to me. And it all, all kind of works into this evolution of the human body and the human brain and um, why we evolved to be the way we've been or the way we are. And are we going to continue to evolve or if we kind of uh, you know, worked ourselves to the top of the food chain to where we're either going to kill ourselves and go extinct that way, or are we going to continue to evolve? I'm just very curious about you know, everything to do with uh, consciousness and can we influence it? And are there things out there beyond our senses? And, you know, the, the more you get exposed to that stuff, it's just a deep dive that, you know, you could jump into for 30 years and not even realize. Mm, I love it. That's amazing, Ben. And do you feel as though going into this whole space has allowed for you to show up differently in the world? Oh, 1000%. Yeah. Um, being aware of myself is, you know, as a bodybuilder, I think I, I uh, was aware that I wasn't aware, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't know how to change it. And, uh, you know, since having left bodybuilding, not having a day to day attachment to the outcome of the day or of the workout has allowed me to kind of step back and um, maybe objectively observe my life and my interactions and my ability to communicate and, uh, you know, just observe what, what can I do to become the best version of myself. Um, so a lot of my evolution is out of necessity uh, for myself, having lived as a bodybuilder for 20 years. Um, I, I lived a very shallow, recluse, isolated, I'm exaggerating that, but you get all the words, uh, life, like I wasn't a bad person, but you know, looking back on it, man, I feel, feel like I was, it was, I loved what I did, don't get me wrong, but I feel like, gosh, I could have done so much more with myself to have evolved myself uh, synergistically as I evolved my body. Um, that being said, you know, I was always reading something, I was always studying something, but, you know, looking back on it, it wasn't as voracious as it is now. I probably didn't have the energy at the time, but uh, I certainly come at the world differently now. Um, I feel like I'm I'm a, I'm a much better version of myself, and I always use the quote that I'm like fine wine, um, you know, getting better with age, as uh, learning myself, learning my body, most importantly, learning how to uh, empathize and be compassionate for other people. I didn't always have that ability during my bodybuilding career, or maybe I just didn't care because I was so single-mindedly focused on what I was doing. It's a really cool thing that trying to see the world through someone else's lens uh, really gives you a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We'll just wrap up today's episode with where can people connect with you, Ben, if they want to find out more about who you are and what you do? 
I am uh, often on Instagram, which is IFBB Ben Peck. Uh, if you look up my name, you'll find it. Uh, Facebook is a good place to find me. Um, I've got a few websites that people can check out. YouTube's always a good place to get me because I got a lot of educational stuff on there. My primary website is MI40 Nation, and uh, my newest program that I mentioned was Hypertrophy Mastery, and it's hypertrophymastery.com. All of good places to find me and track me down. And there's also the Muscle Expert Podcast, which is releasing every Monday and Thursday of each week. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time today. We are going to wrap up with one final question, which is the question that we wrap up every podcast with. And that is, how would you like to be remembered, Ben? Jeez. Um, well, my articulation when I started MI40 in 2011 uh, was I want to be the catalyst for change in the fitness industry. You know, I want everyone to realize that you can change your body. You are absolutely able. You absolutely have the genetics. The only thing holding you back is the excuses you have as to why you can't do it. And I just want to be the, the catalyst for intelligent muscle building around the world. And, you know, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job of leading the way right now with that. And uh, a lot of people are uh, taking notice and, and taking recognition. We're training a lot of coaches and a lot of influencers are coming through. And uh, you know, I think we're really starting to make a shift. And, and I think it's a really cool thing that if I was a 15-year-old boy or if you were a 15-year-old girl and somebody handed you a book and it was called The Blueprint for Your Body – and uh, you looked at it and actually read it and, and it gave you this amazing empowered feeling to realize that you can be in control of your ability to change your body. You don't have to worry about what other people say. You don't have to worry about your quote unquote genetics or your time or your nutrition. Like it's all right there. And, and here's how to here's how to change your body. I think it would empower a lot of kids and get a, get rid of a lot of eating disorders and get rid of a lot of bullying and get rid of a lot of insecurity because now I can love my body. I want people to love this body they live in. You know, that's the articulation of my podcast is, you know, live a life that that you love and in the body that you love. And I think that's so important um, to, to be able to love your body. And imagine giving that to kids from a young age. I think we could certainly empower a new generation of leaders. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I want to commend you on everything that you are doing, Ben. You're certainly b making a way to build quite the legacy for yourself. So thank you. Thank you very much, Angela. I appreciate being here. Alrighty, I hope you have yourself a good day and thanks again for joining me. Today's conversation really was a dream come true for me guys, so I hope that there was a lot of pieces of valuable information in today's chat that you guys are going to be able to put into practice to really optimize your training, nutrition, and mindset. And I just have to give a shout out to my business coach, Craig Ballantyne, because he connected me and Ben together through his Perfect Life workshop and I'm just eternally grateful that I've been able to use this platform to speak to some of the most brilliant minds in the industry. So thank you Craig, thank you Ben and for all you guys, you got to go follow these two men. They are really forging the way both in the business and the fitness space. I'll put all of this in the show notes for all of you. We'll catch you next time. Guys, I'm on a really big mission here and I want to transform 1 million lives, but I need your help. I can't do it alone. I want you to take this episode, share it with just one person. Maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe a coworker, just one person who could really benefit from the information in this week's episode or perhaps a previous episode. That is how we create impact. That is how we get this movement going. That's how we take people from feeling tired and just not having a fulfilled life and we put them into fulfilling their full potential. So I challenge you guys to share this with just one person. It would mean the world to me. And as always, 
head on over to iTunes, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They come out every single Thursday. That is my commitment to all of you guys so that you guys can continually grow, expand, and fulfill your full potential. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Lots of love. Ange.